and being Charles submitted to the truth of who Jesus actually is. And then I rejoiced when I heard our Prime Minister read the New Testament. <laughs> I wondered how much of his knowledge was actually influenced by his education at a private school in, in England, because he never would have had that information if he'd grown up in India, which is a great sorrow for all the millions that live in India. But they were all listening <laughs> to what he was reading. In fact, all the nations of the world that watched that coronation service were listening to the word of the Lord, that the name of Jesus is above every name that has ever been named, and every principality, every power, every stronghold, every dominion, is under his authority. And I thought, how else could this kind of truth be proclaimed outside the four walls of a church? Actually, it was in an abbey, but it was going by video, by TV, round the world into the homes of the nations. That has never happened before. We are in unusual times. We were celebrating something that started in 960 AD that itself was the result of something that happened 400 years before that. In AD 500 or something or other, Pope Gregory, far away in Rome, at a time when the papacy was not an institution that ruled through kings, he commissioned missionaries to go all over Europe. And one of the target tribes were the rather vicious, unruly Anglo-Saxons of England. And he commissioned a missionary called Augustine, not the one that you hear about theologically. Augustine was sent to Canterbury. From Canterbury, he went up north. And when he reached the rather violent, unruly tribes of northern England, my family comes from north, it's still like that in many ways, but the king converted to Christianity. And what did that king do? He himself commissioned missionaries. They were too afraid to go to Scotland. But that's how this land was evangelized. And the lasting effect of that is with us today. And it has been built on and built on and built on and gone through struggles like you can't imagine with martyrs, with people who died that we could read the word in English. And those people knew one thing, that Jesus was Lord of Lords. Now, at the end of the service, the last words of the Archbishop were, may God keep you in his holy fear. It was many years in my Christian life before I understood this phrase, the fear of the Lord. 
and the sermon's already being given. <laughs> Thank you very much. It is key to the way we are to operate as people who love God. I want to take us, if you've got your passage here, Malachi 3, at the end of your papers, or maybe it's not here, because it's up on the, it's up on the um, screen. That's why I didn't put it. Malachi 3. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. That's what we're doing. No, I'm mostly speaking, but we're speaking with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasured possession, I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Can you imagine? Here are people who love the Lord talking to one another, and the Lord pays attention to them. They're not even in worship or praise or some kind of formal religious exercise. They are people who fear the Lord who are talking to each other. And not only does the Lord pay attention to them, he has a book of remembrance written about them. Wow. People who fear the Lord are a very special kind of people in the scripture. Over and over and over again, they are mentioned. Individually, not just corporately, but you see Job as one who feared the Lord. Ridiculed by his wife. He was alone. But not entirely alone. God was with him. People who fear the Lord are strong. And the first scripture here is on this page is Isaiah chapter 11. If you want to look that up from verses 1 to 5. The fear of the Lord is the characteristic of the Holy Spirit. Now when you speak of people who are filled with the Spirit, in popular religious opinion, they're usually talking about, oh, miracles have happened. Or something profound. I remember when I turned up in the island of Malta, I was um, asked to come and teach the Roman Catholic leaders of the charismatic renewal. And I was told of what had happened the year before. And Jean Darnell had been there, a woman of God, and as she was preaching, everyone just fell on the floor. They were nuns and brothers from different orders. They were all religious people, and they just fell on the floor. Very modestly. <laughs> and people said, oh, the spirit had come. I walked down the streets in Malta. I just bumped into people. Elderly lady said, oh, my son, I prayed for him for many years, and God healed him. In Valletta, there's a statue to the Holy Spirit. I'm not quite sure how you make a statue to something that can't be seen, but there's a statue. <laughs> and the whole island is dedicated to the Holy Spirit. And then, 
in the, in the 80s, God's spirit came. And everywhere you met, you met people who would talk about being healed or something miraculous happening or people all falling on the floor. That was quite dramatic because the father provincial of the, Roman, of the Franciscans came up on stage and he was going to bring a correction for error. Now that's quite serious. He's appointed by the Vatican. And then he fell on the floor. <laughs> but this is not the characteristic of the Holy Spirit that is mentioned in Isaiah 11. This is what catches our attention. But it doesn't guarantee very much eternally. Think of um, Bethsaida and Chorazin. They had witnessed the miracles of Jesus. And yet, they followed in rebellion. And even today, you can see the results of the destruction of the buildings through an earthquake. The cobbles are still there, the bits of columns and this and that. They're still lying on the ground, from what I understand. Unless they've been pillaged since the photographs I saw were taken. And there is a lament that here were towns, villages that were visited by the Lord Jesus, saw his power and authority over the physical world, but did not repent. The characteristic of the Spirit that empowered the Messiah was the fear of the Lord. If we mention this, it says the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, verse 2, chapter 11 of Isaiah. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might. The spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is mentioned twice as the characteristic of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces wisdom. The Holy Spirit brings understanding. And it goes on to say, he will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears by his ears, but he will judge the needy with justice and give decisions for the poor. He sees the reality of what is there, not the appearance not the sounds, not the battering of human society. He sees what's really there. That's the spirit of discernment. Discernment is necessary for wisdom. And when we find a group filled with the Holy Spirit, they will be speaking like these people here, in wisdom and understanding. And if we remember King Solomon way back, the example of the king, who was anointed, his desire before the Lord was to be wise. And God gave him an abundance of wisdom until he disobeyed and went a different way. Wisdom. Look at Jesus. The way he walked in wisdom. He knew when to speak, when to be silent. He knew what advice to give people. He knew what was in their hearts, individually. Met the Samaritan woman. He said, go find your husband. She said, I have no husband. He said, yes, you, you've had five. And the one you have now is not your husband. 
He saw Nicodemus, the man who loved the Lord. He saw the Roman, Roman centurion, who came to him and asked for him to heal his child. And the Roman centurion said, you don't have to come to my house. I know you have authority. And Jesus said, look at your faith. You know, the only people in Israel whose faith he commended were non-Jews. They're people like Romans or Phoenicians. He commended their faith. The only ones. He could see. Paul could see. He was preaching in Lycaonia, a village he didn't plan to be in, a village that had a different dialect, so he couldn't even understand what they were saying because they didn't speak Greek. He was preaching. And at the back of the big crowd, there was an individual person that he'd noticed. Get that. It's a big crowd. The whole village has come. They actually think he's the god Hermes. And at the back, there's an individual. And in the middle of his sermon, or perhaps near the end, Paul says, get up, your faith has healed you. The man gets up and he's healed. And then there's a huge commotion. And they want to give an offering to him because they're definitely sure the gods have now come. Discernment. He could see the faith that man had. Paul, he said, we do not judge anyone any longer in the old way. But we see as Christ sees. And he says, Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. What is this fear of the Lord that motivated evangelization? That motivated Paul to operate in a different spirit from the world around him? That spirit is the beginning of wisdom and the hatred of evil. If you are beset by an ongoing sin, Ask the Lord to teach you how to hate it. That will come through the Spirit of God who hates evil. It can't come from ourselves. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is pure. You won't feel oppressed. To fear the Lord is not to be terrified, like Mark was explaining. To fear the Lord is to have the utmost, deepest respect for the one who has all authority. Like Paul, like Job says, you have all power and authority, what can I say? And yet I will say something. But who could argue with you? We stand in awe of the one who is always right. But we also stand in awe of the one who came and washed our feet. The one who saw our brokenness and our disobedience. The one who saw our fears. The one who understood our human condition because he'd lived amongst it. He humbled himself to wash our feet and to go to death on that cross as a criminal when he was perfectly innocent. The perfect person, the only perfect person, 
who had ever walked on this planet. If we are to walk in his spirit, we are to search for it as silver, Proverbs 2, and look for it as hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God, and we are made for friendship with our God. We already sang, seek first the kingdom of God, but it is true that if we keep seeking, we will find him. In Psalm 25, verse 14, the blessings of the fear of the Lord are the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him. There's no other way to find friendship with the Lord. You can follow any religion, you can do all kinds of acts of charity, you can even have your body burned if you want, but to be a friend of the Lord, you must seek him. You must fear him. More than anything else, the fear of man brings a curse. The fear of the Lord brings a friendship. If you're afraid of people, it's a curse. Afraid of what they think of you, it's a curse. Afraid of what they'll do to you, also a curse. If you're afraid of people, you cannot live by faith. It's very simple. It's an expression of unbelief in the person of our God. To be a friend of God is to be a friend of the ruler. Um, a good friend of mine, Mark, Friend, someone I deeply respected, who influenced us hugely in Youth with a Mission, who passed away not long ago, she used to say, a person and God are always a majority. One person in friendship with God is a majority. You way back in history, think of that one person that Pope Gregory sent to evangelize the Anglo-Saxons. And look what happened. No one should underestimate the power of obedience, ever. Obedience changes people, changes nations, changes families. Disobedience brings the opposite. I remember when I was in Egypt, we were in a group of people ministering to believers in Egypt at the time. And we were visited by a young lady. And she said to me, said, I had a vision of four people, we were four, four people coming to my town in the spirit of God, with the word of the Lord, and I joined them. I said, oh, okay. Um, what else do you, you know, what would you anticipate that meaning? And so we talked for a while. I said, okay, well, we'll pray about it, but you're welcome to join us. If that's the word of the Lord, then all we'll, we'll all get round it. But do you have the blessing of your church? Yes. Do you have the blessing of your father? Not yet. So she went back. She came back. Yes, I have the blessing of my father. I said, okay, then we've prayed about it. You can join us. Join us and we'll go around Egypt, minister in the churches. He said, no, I can't come. 
I said, why not? I said, you've got the blessing of your church. They prayed about it. You've got the blessing of your father. He'll commission you. Why not? My mother. She says she'll go crazy if I leave. I said, she has to recognize the authority of her husband and the blessing that you've already received from your father. No, I can't come. I said, but God has spoken to you and those around you in spiritual authority over you, and they're in agreement. No, I can't come. So she didn't come. A few years later, I was in Cyprus, and a spiritual leader from Egypt was joining us for a conference, and I knew that he knew of her. And I said to him, I said, tell me, what happened to so-and-so? Oh, he said, very sad. Very, very sad indeed. I said, what happened? Her family married her to an unbeliever, and her mother went crazy. Now, you see, if she'd obeyed, history might have been different. Her mother could have received a blessing. She'd have found a partner who also loved the Lord. But disobedience, because of lack of the fear of the Lord, and because of fear of man, in this case, mother, had a terrible consequence. Only obedience in the fear of the Lord will bring freedom. Not only to yourself, but to everyone around you. It brings a blessing. The fear of the Lord is like a treasure. And it goes on in Psalm 25, because obviously David knew this secret. He faced all kinds of turmoil. Family, kingdom, everything around him including his own life, he said, as he had discovered himself, the secret of the Lord is with those who fear him. He will show them his covenant. His covenants are his promises. They never fail. Secret of the Lord. Things that are not visible to people that don't respect him. But if you deeply respect the Lord and fear the Lord, you will see his covenant, his promises. And you will look around and see the nations. Some of them have great blessing. I, I think of an island called Tonga. It's out in the Pacific. It was an island of cannibals. You know, some of those missionary stories are actually true. They're not just made-up myths. <laughs> um, and when the missionaries came, they were slaughtered and eaten. They were followed by another band of missionaries, and the people came to the Lord. The king of Tonga, there's a kingdom, had a celebration of their history not so long ago. A friend of mine went there because Tonga has been sending out missionaries. This is little island in the Pacific. No resources, but people. People are the greatest resource in the kingdom. And they've been sending out missionaries. And they were celebrating the time when they were saved from their sinful ways through the message of the gospel and the sacrifice of those who went there. There are pockets like this all over the world. But you don't see them unless you look. And you have to have eyes to see, to notice where the kingdom is growing. 
And you know, the kingdom is not just church. Church is one aspect of human life that recognizes the kingdom, but the kingdom is everywhere. Yesterday, we saw the authority of the kingdom of Jesus over government. Kings, queens, princes, who knows who was in that Westminster Abbey. But these were the leaders of nations, and they were submitting, even walking into the building was a submission to some of them. They were submitting, or called to submit to, the kingdom of God as it ruled over government. But the kingdom of God rules over every aspect of life. Take your home life. The way you prepare food, the way you decorate your room, the way you live in your home. It is in the fear of the Lord to demonstrate the kingdom. There's a book, I don't know if it's even available now, but Edith Schaefer, the wife of Francis Schaefer, who was an evangelist to Europe, she wrote a book about hidden art. It was all about in those days, how to write letters to other people in a God-feared, inspiring, beautiful way. How to prepare food, not in a legalistic way, but to be animated by the Spirit of God as you prepare food, as you decorate the rooms. You want, what do you want to communicate in the physical world? That's witness. Witness is to make present and manifest that which is hidden. So the way you live is a witness. The way you build a house or, or a church or, or a meeting space or anything, an educational environment, the way we do all these things is a witness if we are people who fear the Lord. Hence those great cathedrals that we have that still stand from, what, a thousand years ago. People wanted to build them as an act of worship. Contrast, mosques, in Iran or Turkey, are built out of obligation. Sometimes they're built in the desert in the hope that building a mosque will get somebody to heaven and there's nobody to go to it. But the person funding it hopes it will give them merit, build up you know, the good deeds. That's not how our cathedrals were built. Our cathedrals were built out of an act of worship. The stonemasons carving were worshipping, as indeed the building of the Old Testament temple, where the colours and the design and everything is dictated by the Holy Spirit. What you do in your workplace, let's look at business. How do you conduct business? There's a kingdom way of doing it, and there are non-kingdom ways of doing it. But the kingdom of God needs to be made manifest through the way you approach business, or the way you go shopping and you encounter retail. Do you deal with the lies? Do you work against the greed that's there as you do your shopping? What do you participate in? It's an everyday experience for us. What spirit are we participating in? I, I, going to a supermarket for me is like spiritual warfare. You know, it's guaranteed to bombard you with incentive to spend your money regardless of whether that's good for you or not. Business, entertainment, the arts. Take our room downstairs. It's an art centre because we want to celebrate the authority of Jesus over beauty, over song, 
in the realm of sound and visual representation of what is what the Bible calls us good and virtuous. Think on these things. Book of Philippians. We want to witness to the goodness of our God through the way we relate to one another in front of unbelievers that we invite. Through the diversity that we represent. We represent the unity of the human race caused by the person of Jesus. Peace among men. Okay, there were a few, but we're still peace among men. You only have to have two to have an argument, don't you? We are a witness in the arts to the creativity and beauty and integrity of the arts. And we're commanded in, the, in Philippians to think on that which is good and virtuous and righteous and lovely, beautiful. So we want to make that manifest. It's a witness. Sometimes witness has just been reduced to just one thing, talking about Jesus. But the fear of the Lord is a force that brings evil to account. If people meet you, they should meet someone who is holy. If they meet a group of us, they should meet the kind of people who are fellowshipping in a way that you can't do if, you, if you're full of sin and anger and jealousy and all these things that come from the human heart. I long for the days when the Spirit of God is so strong amongst us in the fear of the Lord that people around will fall in repentance. It happened in New England during those New England revivals. Okay, it was a Christian country at the time. People knew who Jesus was and were ignoring him. Not like today when they don't even know who he is. But the presence of God as people walked into places, factories or wherever, where unbelievers were, would have an impact of bringing them into repentance, just like that. Holy Spirit would come. It happened in India in the early 20th century. Pandita Ramabai was a, a convert, I hate that word, to a follower of Jesus in India. She wanted to see Indian Christianity come about. And she was the son of a Brahmin, very well educated. And she came all the way to England to speak to the principal, founding principal of the college that I studied at in Oxford and talked to her about Jesus, Christianity, and theological questions. Went back to India, founded schools. One day, the Holy Spirit came into the school and all the pupils were down on the ground repenting. The same thing was happening in Wales. It's called the Welsh Revival. But it wasn't just in Wales, it was in lots of places. And, and they just had to stop class and seek the Lord together because the students were in repentance. The spirit of the fear of the Lord is the hatred of evil. They had revelation of their disobedience and rebellion against God. That's the spirit of the fear of the Lord. That's the top characteristic of the Holy Spirit. Signs and wonders follow the gospel, but the characteristic of the Holy Spirit is this purity, holiness, deep respect of God. And as a power, he wants to see the kingdom of God rule in every aspect of life. So whichever area of work you are involved in, that area must be discipled. 
It must be brought under the authority of the Lord Jesus. We may not have a big celebration in a cathedral to see the authority of the kingdom over your particular sphere, but God wants that to happen. The Lordship of Jesus. I mean, you go to hospitals, you, you see dedication to the Lord Jesus in many hospitals in this country. Go to the legal profession, you see scriptures on the walls. Protection for the poor and for children. The whole of the child protection movement is rooted in scriptures about children. People forget where it comes from, but that's why it's there. That's why it even happened in the first place. You don't get that somewhere else. When the Sally army influenced this country to have an age of permission at 16, it went round the world. Nations had never thought about it. They'd never thought of protecting their children by defining the age of childhood and adulthood. They'd not thought of it before. Came from the Sally Army working here and preaching the gospel in London, where sin was rife in the House of Lords and MPs. The kingdom changes nations permanently, and the fear of the Lord is the motivation behind all those people that do all those things in the name of the Lord Jesus. In the arts, in business, in government, in the home, and thank God yesterday in government. So let us devote ourselves to seeking the fear of the Lord in every aspect of our life, in the way we treat each other and the people around us, and in the spheres of authority that we move in and operate in, that they might be discipled as, they, as we are commissioned to disciple nations, not just individuals, nations, and all the lives that nations represent. I thank you, Lord, for your kingdom, that your kingdom has come and that your kingdom is coming and that the primary identity of your kingdom is your spirit, the spirit of the fear of the Lord. Lord Jesus, you were anointed with that spirit. You were filled with that spirit. Everything you did was motivated and empowered by the spirit, the fear of the Lord of wisdom and understanding. We thank you that spirit has been given to all of us who submit to your Lordship. We thank you that we don't have to strive in ourselves to produce this kind of attitude. You fill us with your attitude and your presence and your authority. We commit one another into your hands and we thank you for the empowering presence of your spirit and the hatred of evil and the love of all that is good. And we receive your friendship that you won for us on that cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Enjoy meditating on those scriptures and be strengthened by them.